Amen. And howdy. How's everybody doing? All right. You're a little more enthusiastic than the first service, uh, but not much. Uh, so we're going to see if we can change that here in just a little bit as we get into the uh, word. Man, isn't it great to be together? People to sing and praise the Lord. Uh, so good to have so many of you back in person. Of course, uh, we extend also, as Monty said earlier, a wonderful greeting to our folks who are uh, worshiping at home this morning online. Uh, we have some of our AFCers who are out today. That's why you're seeing a little empty pocket over here. Uh, so it's uh, grads, right? Folks who are about to graduate, isn't that right? Who's out this weekend? So I uh, know they're uh, on a little retreat with uh, Brian and Hayden and some others. And so uh, prayers for them as they, uh, as they travel. Uh, one of the things that we learn when you uh, go to school and they, they try to teach you about preaching, one of the things they tell you is never start uh, a sermon with an announcement. So I'm going to start one with two. Uh, to make sure that I don't violate that rule. So the first one is this. Uh, we want to make sure that you uh, have information to really help you thrive and grow as part of our church family. And so on screen, you're going to see uh, six different communication channels that the church uh, uses to try to keep you in the loop and keep you informed. Uh, this ranges from the Welcome Center, which uh, the reason that space was created was for us to have a go-to place so that we can connect face-to-face uh, here's kind of our default. If you don't know where to go for a question or for an go to the Welcome Center. All else fails, go to the Welcome Center. There'll always be somebody there that can engage and point you to the right person. The elders have been requesting face-to-face visits over the past several weeks. We're really starting to get some tractions with those. Uh, by the way, you'll notice the elders have a new email address. It's elders at amchurch.net. Email that's sent to that email address only goes to our shepherds. Uh, the staff doesn't see it. No other volunteers see it. And so if you would like to communicate to the elders via email, uh, it instantly goes to all of their inboxes and allows them to reply, typically pretty quickly, unless it's a really long email, and then it may take a little longer. So uh, just you know, keep that in mind. Uh, we have midweek updates. We have Sunday morning updates. If you're not getting those, please email the church. Please call the church office. Let us know. We want to do everything we can to keep you as connected as we can. We have the app. We've mentioned that the past several Sundays. And then, of course, we have Church Community Builder. I want to remind you that communication is a two-way street. And so we choose these media because we believe that these media are effective and will work well to keep you informed. But if you still feel like you're disconnected or you can't find a place to plug in or you can't find the information you're looking for, um, please, please uh, call us. Come by the church office uh, we want you to uh, be connected. And, I, and, and, and that's going to be really important as we get to the end of our sermon today. Because if we are not connected, then people fall through the cracks. And we don't want that to happen here. And uh, so even as we get into our text in First John, communicating uh, together effectively is an extremely important part of what we are about as a, a church. Uh, do we have any singles in the room? If so... You are invited to uh, our new singles ministry. They meet every Saturday night at 6.30 in the parlor, which is just down the hall here. All you need to bring is an open heart. That's it. Uh, open heart to God's word. They're going to begin a new series on May 1st entitled, I Declare War. That's spiritually speaking, of course, for all of you whose Alexa, uh, Alexa feature is uh, enabled uh, on your listening devices. So uh, all singles are invited to attend, no matter your age. So um, we're in the final week of a sermon series entitled, If Then. 
if then. If this happens, then what? Fill in the blank. We've seen in Scripture that there are all kinds of if-then statements. Last uh, Two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, we were in the book of Romans, chapter 6, and we noted that uh, in verse 5, for if we have been united uh, with him in a death like his, that's the death of Jesus, then surely we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. Last Sunday, we explored John chapter 8, and we looked at Jesus' words uh, to a group of people who believed his teaching, but were struggling to believe in him as Messiah. And so John records these words in John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So as you can imagine, in preparing for this series, and even over the past couple of weeks, as I've been just looking at different aspects of this, this concept, this idea, this, these formulas of if-then, I've just been, been so intrigued by just how many different ways if-then impacts all of our lives, from computer programming to, to flowcharts to business uh, models, uh, survival guides, uh, even, even you know, things that are getting popular like the escape room craze, you know, that just kind of was really, really hot a couple of years back and still is doing a pretty good business, I think. Uh, if this happens, then that happens, right? We see it in so many different places. But what I didn't realize was how popular if then is, is in um, children's books. I had no idea. Now, I discovered a few. Here's a couple. Not an endorsement, by the way. I just want to share some of these titles with you. There's one series called Pick Your Own Quest. And the first one I came across is Dragon versus Unicorn. And I want to read this description to you because this is, it just kind of gets you right here in your heart. Dragon and Unicorn are both the best. At least that's what they think. But when Unicorn starts talking trash, Dragon cannot back down. Or was it Dragon that started it all? Who knows? They need to find out who is the most epic, whether it's throwing a party, dancing, or shooting hoops. Your choices decide who wins in this one-of-a-kind book with over 30 challenges and 25 possible endings. Play as Dragon or play as Unicorn. Finish it once and go back and make a different choice for hours and hours of fun. Are you ready to find out who's really best? Open the book and let's get this party started. If you need to know how to get a party started, it's right here. Dragon versus Unicorn. I think I'm starting to figure out why our test scores are falling. Here's another book (laughs) by the same author that may intrigue some of you who spend thousands of hours playing Minecraft. Do we have any Minecrafters in the room? Okay, a few. All right. I know our boys, when they were younger, they loved to play Minecraft. Here's a description. You're trapped inside Minecraft. You drink the wrong potion. And the next thing you know, you're inside Minecraft. Zombies and creepers come at you from all sides. All you want to do is get home or wait. Maybe you should look around for a little while first. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're anywhere where there's zombies and creepers, don't look around. Get out of there, okay? Just, just go home. But, but apparently you can pick your own quest doing this. Children's book these days, they're just the gift that keeps on giving. You know, you can order your own Choose Your Own Adventure book. Are you familiar with those? Choose Your Own Adventure series? Um, there's one you can get called Your Grandparents Are Spies, all right? Now, here's a description. 
um, your grandparents or spies takes you on an unexpected adventure with your grandparents, your six to eight-year-old reader will visit the zipline park and cruise through the canopy chase after a runaway thief and fly in a rocket ship into space. Your grandparents are spies is a companion book to the best-selling title, Your Grandparents Are Zombies. But if that one's too harsh, the good news is you can pick up your grandparents or ninjas instead, okay? So it just keeps on getting better and better. Okay, the titles of these and many other books like them may, may strike us as silly. Actually, I think it's kind of cool that there's imagination that's involved and, you know, we kind of choose this and we kind of choose that. So that's kind of fun. But all of these books have one thing in common, and it is this, my decisions impact the outcome of the story. My decisions impact the outcome of the story. So whether it's pick your own quest, choose your own adventure, the decisions one makes early in the story ultimately impact the story outcome. It's a pretty easy concept for us to understand in the world of fiction, and most people figure it out in life, that the decisions that I make today impact my tomorrows. For some of us, it takes a little longer to figure it out than others, right? But most of us, over time, figure it out. What I decide today impacts how my life will turn out tomorrow. Now, there's a twist in the biblical story that makes all the difference. And what is that twist? I want us to dig into the text and see if we can discover today what it is. So in this final series, uh, lesson in this series, we're going to focus on a couple of key if-then statements from 1 John. It may surprise you to learn there are at least 20 if-then statements in 1 John. We're just going to review a few this morning as we wrap up this series. So before we get into the text of 1 John, let's talk context. So I believe the heart of 1 John could actually be summed up as a question. And the question is this, will you say yes to God's story as it is revealed in Jesus Christ? Now, John doesn't actually ask this question, but I'm saying if we took the content of the book of 1 John and we studied through it and we, we said, wow, what's a great question this this letter seems to ask. I think it is this. Would you say yes to God's story as it is revealed in Jesus Christ? John's answer to this question is a resounding yes. Because you see, John was an apostle of Jesus. So not only did he know the story, but he personally knew the author of the story. John had encountered all kinds of of if-then moments with Jesus. Just think about a few of them. There are hundreds, but there are a few that he experienced that that could have been put into an if-then phenomenon inside his own mind, inside of his own heart. John watched Jesus walk on water and surely was confronted with the reality. If If he can walk on water, then he saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. If, if he has that kind of power, then surely he can. 
He saw prophecy fulfilled. He saw an empty tomb. He saw the resurrected Lord. He understood and he believed this is the Messiah, the Word, who was in the beginning, who was with God and who was God. We see how his understanding of God's decisions impacts the outcome of the story on full display in his gospel account and also in the three additional letters that bear his name as well as the book of Revelation. In the New English Bible, 1 John is given the title, Recall to Fundamentals. And I think that's really appropriate because 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John all focus on the fundamentals of belief and life for disciples of Jesus Christ. So a little bit more about the context. Who wrote it? Many agree that the author is the disciple whom Jesus loved, known to us as the youngest of Jesus' disciples, John. 1st John has a lot in common with the gospel of John. When you read through, you're going to think, hmm, this sounds very familiar. And that's because it should. Uh, Particularly when you look at the first few chapters and then the latter few chapters, we see lots of parallels between the two. 1st John is a great place to start reading the Bible if you've never read the Bible. So let's say you're fairly new to Christianity and you wonder, where should I start? Well, 1st John is a great place to start. Why? Because it contains the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So John is now quite a bit older. He is most likely shepherding a network of church houses, uh, house churches rather, in or around um, Ephesus. It reads more like a sermon than a letter. Uh, It appears to be attended for a very particular group of Christians, and there's a reason for that. Because in these house churches in Ephesus or in and around these house churches, uh, there's false doctrine that has really started to rear its head. And the false doctrine is this, it's possible to live without sin. It's possible to live without sin. So here's what that means. If you can live without sin, then there's no reason for Jesus, right? Because if you're sinless, then you don't need a savior. So in a nutshell, the false doctrine was Jesus in no way impacts the outcome of the story. Jesus doesn't impact the outcome of the story. And John, rightfully so, pushes back against this false doctrine. And he focuses in 1 John on two primary truths. There are lots of truths that he discusses, but he focuses on two that are primary. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning on the first of those two. So let's look at the text and let's see if our hearts and our heads align with the heart and the head of this gospel message. 1 John 1 Chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message that we, and I think anytime you see the word we, he's referring to the apostles or possibly the greater body of Christ, but I think to give clarity to his witness here, he means the apostles. 
This is the message that the apostles have heard from him. That's Jesus. And this is the message we declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And here's primary truth number one. God is light. How does John know that God is light? Well, there are lots of reasons, I think, that become self-evident to him as time has gone by. But I think the number one reason is Jesus told him God is light. In John's gospel, he records the episode when Jesus actually shared this teaching in John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. John never recorded in his gospel that God is light, but remember to John, the word, that's Jesus, is with God and is God. So God, or John uses God and Jesus interchangeably without any concern. This is going to be a theme that's going to be repeated in the book of Revelation when John records what happens after the curse of sin no longer exists. In Revelation 22.5 we read, For there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The first truth of First John God is light. Why does he need to point this out? Well, as simply as I can state it, there were people in and around these churches who believed that you could have fellowship with God without Jesus. As I stated earlier, they believed they were sinless. So therefore, they believed they didn't need a Savior. And John tells the church, believing that you can be in fellowship with God without a relationship with Jesus, all you're doing is just stumbling around in the dark. He didn't stop with that one statement, there's a lot of repetition in this letter. If you read First John, you're going to be like, man, he repeats himself a lot. Well, yeah, because there are people who are just not getting it. So he needs to say the same thing over and over and over again, not just to those who are teaching false doctrine, but also to believers who may be growing discouraged because they're seeing people actually begin to believe what these false teachers are sharing. So he continues, 1 John 1, 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, that's Jesus, and yet walk in darkness, then we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. As you think about the second verse, this, this verse we just shared, it's not just fellowship with God that's on the line if we re reject the sacrifice of Jesus. Because if we reject the sacrifice of Jesus, then we also reject true fellowship with one another. 
if you don't need Jesus to be in a relationship with God, then you also don't need other Christians to be in a relationship with God. And that's a dangerous false narrative that's taken deep root in our culture these days. Does this statement sound familiar? Oh, I believe in God. It's just his people I can't stand. Does that sound familiar? Anybody ever said that? That's individualism talking. That keeps us from hard conversations with one another. It keeps us from thinking deeply about that which divides us. And a positive note, that which unites us. It makes it easy to move away from others so that I can do what I want to do when and how and where I want to do it. But somewhere, surely somewhere, deep in our hearts, we know a relationship with God and relationships with fellow believers, we know that those relationships keep us from stumbling around in spiritual darkness, right? It's why lightsabers aren't called darksabers. It's why we purchase flashlights, not make things darker lights. It's why we take really, really long walks on sunny days and we run for cover when the dark clouds gather. Can you imagine how much fun a 4th of July celebration would be if it was just simply a series of loud booms? Can you imagine? What do we ooh and awe over? We ooh and awe over the, the, the patterns, the colors of the what? the lights, the fireworks. How many of you around Christmas time take your children out to a dark woods and say, look, everybody. We take our kids to see what? The Christmas lights. Notice 1 John 1, 7 again. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, I think walking in light is the primary motivator for sweet fellowship. Hopefully, prayerfully, we know that all of us, every single person in this room, struggles with various forms of temptation or we struggle with various, various sins. Every single person but we also know that the blood of Jesus purifies us from those sins. So, even if I let you down, you love me the same way that Jesus loves me. And you help me back up. And I, I want to do the same thing for you. Sadly, in our culture today, we tend to embrace safety and emotional fragility over the hard work of relationship building. Now, the former is really, really easy. If I don't like you, or if I don't like what you're doing, I just leave. But the latter is Christ-like. 
Jesus loves you. That is worth time and energy to honor and grow. Now, here's something that's amazing that's happening in our culture. And I was actually hesitant to share this because the, the, the guy I'm going to quote from is actually a, a polarizing figure. But, but I think the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, well, that makes it even more important for me to make the point. Um, so here's what's happening in our culture. Secular psychologists who believe all sorts of things are starting to figure out how this siloing I'm not going to talk to you anymore because I don't agree with you, or I'm going to go form my own thing and do my own thing because I don't see eye to eye with you. I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about culture as well. We're building these these smaller groups over here and tribes over there and values in this place, and and we're we're this in in this context and that in another context. And and oh, by the way, if I don't agree with you, I'm just going to vilify you. And, and, And so we're just kind of becoming a mess as a culture. And so secular psychologists are starting to see this. They're starting to figure out how this disjointedness is starting to impact the way that we view one another. So here's a quote from, um, again, a fairly polarizing figure. His name is Jordan Peterson. And I'm not sharing this quote to endorse him. I'm not saying that I agree with a lot of what he teaches, but there are a lot of particularly young men in our culture who are kind of rallying behind a lot of his writings. And so I want to just read this quote to you, and then I want to make an observation from it. People depend on constant communication with others to keep their minds organized. We all need to think to keep things straight, but we mostly think by talking. We need to talk about the past so that we can distinguish the trivial, overblown concerns that otherwise plague our thoughts from the experiences that are really important. We need to talk about the nature of the present and our plans for the future so we know where we are, where we are going, and why we are going there. We must submit the strategies and tactics we formulate to the judgments of others to ensure their efficiency and resilience. We need to listen to ourselves as we talk as well so that we may organize our otherwise not fully developed bodily reactions, motivations, and emotions into something articulate and organized and dispense with those concerns that are exaggerated and irrational. We need to talk both to remember and to forget. And so here's why I share that quote with you. If renowned, highly intellectual, secular scholars are getting their cages rattled over this breaking down of communication, of relationship building, if secular scholars are getting their cages rattled over this, should we not even more so be concerned as people who should be doing everything we possibly can to fight for relationships versus distancing ourselves from them? Is that a fair question to ask? Shouldn't we as the body of Christ be fighting more for relationships than trying to build walls between them? 
I know it's not always easy. It wasn't easy when the Apostle John was writing his letter to church that was breaking out into different camps. One group of which was rejecting the divinity of Jesus in the process. John used in an uphill battle in his his context. People embraced their relationship with God, didn't require the cross. And John said, there is no such thing. People said, we're sinless. And John said, that's just walking in darkness. Because the truth is, everyone sins. That's the very reason that we need a Savior. In short, it's, it's as if John is saying, stop trying to create a God you want and trust the God who is light. God is light. So I'll close with a couple of questions. What does walking in light look like? What does walking in light lead to? As we share this journey together in Christ, how do our collaborative gifts, how do our collaborative insights and prayers and acts of service, when we, when we are the church, what happens when we walk in light? John shows us a few examples later in 1 John. He says in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, But if anyone obeys his word, then love for God is truly made complete in them, and this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Living as Jesus did, that's walking in light. 1 John 4, 12, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That's what walking in light looks like. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in them and they in God. That's what walking in light looks like. I saw this model so beautifully recently expressed much more powerfully by the person who said it and lived it than what I can uh, communicate through mere words. And I ask uh, Celsa Garcia, our sister who is sitting right here, uh, if we could use her testimony before her baptism to reveal what John wants churches to understand, what it means to walk in light, and even in our case, what it means to find hope and to live with purpose. So uh, a portion of her testimony we're going to watch now. Please draw your attention to the video screen. To where I needed to be and with the people I needed to be with. And you all individually have played a part. We were just talking in Romans 12 about all parts of one body. And um, you each have a gift that served my need at the time. And I have a gift that I want to give back mm-hmm. to the body. Mm-hmm. And to be a part of you mm-hmm. all and to accept that I am a child of God and that mm-hmm. he has been with me. My entire life, whether I knew it or not, the Holy Spirit has filled me with that knowledge. I'm so grateful for it. And um, life feels like a beautiful new 
thing that I can live with purpose now. And I'm doing this baptism of my my own free will to give my will to God and to let you and everybody know that I will learn the word and I will know the word and I will carry the word forward as you all have done. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Celsa. I, uh, I uh, was blown away by that last, that last commitment that I will, I will learn the word, I will know the word, and I will carry the word forward. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. And here's what's so incredible. It started with one conversation, right? One conversation that led to an invitation that led to a few more relationships here and a few more relationships there, which led to these waters, which led to new life in Christ. So earlier, as you think about what you just heard, earlier I mentioned in fiction that it's, it's easy to see how the following truth plays out. My decisions impact the outcome of the story. But... I don't believe the Bible is fiction. I believe it's the Holy Spirit-empowered Word of God and that it has the power to change lives. And I believe that it is at its best when it is lived out as the author intended it to be. Because you see, in fiction, my decisions may impact the outcome of the story. But in the body of Christ, our collective decisions impact the outcome of the story. It's what you as individuals do, pile together collectively, that makes the difference for people who are searching for Jesus. And brothers and sisters, we cannot miss this. We can't miss it. If we do, here's, here's my last if-then statement. If we miss it, may God have mercy on us for not seeing these waters of baptism stirred again and again and again and again. You know, God uses all kinds of people, and, and even in, in Celsus' case, he used all kinds of people with all kinds of opinions and all types of perspectives to reach this new sister in the Lord. But every single person had one thing in common, and that is they walked in light. And, and so now, she does too. And if that doesn't motivate you to do everything you can to meet new people, and to openly welcome them into your lives and, and welcome them into the life of our church, if that doesn't motivate you, I don't, I don't know what will. So church, let's get busy pointing people to the light, amen? Let's get busy pointing people to Jesus and not just pointing them, but walking alongside them until they are walking alongside him as well. The second major point in John is this, God is love, God is light, and God is love. 
So I hope and pray that as we wrap these series that those, those key truths in this amazing, short but powerful letter will encourage us to move forward and to, to do everything we can to lead as many people to Jesus as we can. As we wrap up this morning, I'm going to be back in the Welcome Center. I will be very, very happy to chat with you, pray with you, uh, talk about baptism, talk about Bible study, whatever is on your heart this morning. Some of our uh, other shepherds will be back there and possibly other staff members as well. So if you can't find me, there will be plenty of other people back there to communicate with. We're going to stand together, church. We're going to share a song together at this time.